Guys of a Certain Age is brought to you by no one. Absolutely no one, except these dudes walking down memory lane. Now let's head to the studio to see what they misremember next. It may be the dog days of summer, but that doesn't keep us from doing a podcast as guys of a certain age in studio, not alongside anybody, but calling in from parts remote. Art Shirley. There you go, Mr. Shirley. And we think Jay is striking for some reason, but I don't know that yeah. he understands strike parameters that, you know, we're not actually members of any union or guild. That's right. So, I mean. And if he's striking for more money, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think his thing is he's uh, he's afraid that we're going to AI scan him and use him without his permission. What he doesn't know, we've done that already in previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah actually yeah. pretty much you know and actually truth be told maybe every episode we are using jay's likeness without his uh without his, <laughs> without his express permission yeah so but uh anyway uh we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to do some geeks of the week then we're going to revisit a fascinating interview with uh comic book writer creator extraordinaire roland man that we did a few months back thought that would be a good thing to dust off and uh, kind of fill a little of the space since there's not a whole lot happening and there's probably not going to be a whole lot happening because the strike uh, deadline has passed and my geek of the week is the fact well it's a couple things but the fact that um, the actors have decided to join the writers on the picket line so um, you do not have actors, you don't have writers, but you've got directors working, which means any vestiges of production that was going on has completely ceased. And, wow. um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, uh, you know, this is the first time I think since 1980, the actors have struck and the first time in 60 plus years that, you know, there is a. Um, a dual union strike, which is kind of, you know, surprising at this point. So uh, have you followed any of the uh, uh, negotiations, any of the stuff in the past, uh, um, the past few weeks with the actors at all? No, not really. Other than just seeing, you know, kind of the, the like I said, that they were continue to be on strike and just seeing images of, of a lot of times actors standing with them even before this happened, you know, before yeah. this news came out. We're standing with them in solidarity, and uh, you know. But no, in terms of in terms of what they're asking for, you know, just very vague ideas on that. Yeah, they, I mean, you know, better wages. The the big thing is streaming, and mm -hmm. you know, the the cut and residuals. A lot of the same things that the act that the the writers have asked for, and I think those are those those are reasonable requests. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're we're heading towards a, um, a kind of a big reset. I mean. You know, Bob Iger came out this week and, um, you know, he basically said we've spent too much. We being Disney and Disney Plus, we've spent too much on um, on on content creation and we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot. He alluded to the fact that during the pandemic, Pixar released three movies on Disney Plus prior to, um, you know, starting in on the um, uh let me i can use my big words i promise <laughs> they released three movies to disney plus first pixar did before theatrical run of course you know it was a whole different situation 
But Iger said, we've trained people to expect these things on Disney Plus, and there's no reason to run out. And then he made kind of a uh, side-hand remark about, you know, Marvel's really never done television before, and they've got all this TV content. And, you know, uh, uh, what's-his-face, who played Coulson, like, raised his hand on Twitter and said, uh, wait, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was on ABC a long time ago. And then yeah. uh, some of the guys from the Netflix uh, Marvel series, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Punisher, what have have you uh, kind of weighed in. So I, there's been speculation. Yeah, it's kind of a dumb thing to say. <laughs> it's kind of a dumb thing to say. There's speculation that Disney is now going to look to sell some of their linear television stuff. There's already been talk about spinning off ESPN. Uh, Disney obviously owns ABC. So, man, it's just it's just kind of crazy. So, But uh, that's kind of news from the front line. I've got another geek I just thought about that we haven't we haven't talked in person and it is the Ahsoka trailer that dropped. Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, Rebels season five or six or whichever one it is. Yes. And oh man, the reveal of uh, my is it Miles Mickels? I cannot pronounce his name. Or is it Lars? Uh, Mads Mickelson. Yeah, him as Thrawn. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So. Um, that looks just absolutely incredible. And uh, have you have you watched Rebels yet? Uh, I've watched some of it, but I haven't watched. I think I've watched two seasons of it, but uh, I haven't watched all of it. Yet. Just grab the last season. That's all you need, and jump yeah, in. Okay. And, and uh, so I'm so looking forward to Ahsoka, which drops in a few weeks. Um, Silo obviously wrapped. We talked about that a little bit on and off mic. Um, and Secret Invasion, I've I've caught up and. I'm going to say this last episode of Secret Invasion, episode four, I believe, was was pretty pretty awesome. So, you know. I watched the second episode and found myself drawn in. I mean, there were some things that happened, and I thought, okay, so uh, so yeah, I'm going to kind of pick up on that. I think, and and how many? So how many episodes are out now? Four? Is this the fourth one? Four. Yeah, four just dropped. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I'll probably catch up on that. Uh, Silo finished Strange New Worlds, which you and I have talked about. We just probably need our own podcast to go through every episode mm-hmm. of that. And then uh, today's record, Foundation Season 2 drops, uh, the the first episode. So um, still a lot of content out there coming, but you know, 18 months from now, there'll be a, a huge gap, a huge vacuum because of the strike. So, yeah. But, but at least we got Ahsoka before that. Right, that's World, right. So. Yeah. And when does Ahsoka drop again? Um, in the it's no first of August, first of August, first so, of August, yeah. yeah. So we've got another couple of weeks, cool. um, but you know the strikes is also are also affecting Comic Con because uh, one of the rules of uh, of the that the guild has put out for their members is that or I should say union, they're a union, not a guild, and I don't really understand the difference. But what uh, SAG AFRA has said is that you cannot promote any upcoming work, so no actors at Comic Con. Wow. Yeah. And last night there was the red carpet premiere of Oppenheimer in London and the uh, cast, when they got notification strike was happening, the cast actually got up out of the movie theater, got up out of the screening of the movie and walked out. Good grief. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I did see the uh, five minute um, special trailer that has dropped for Oppenheimer and it just looks absolutely amazing. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I've seen a poster that, uh, oh gosh, what was it? I can't remember what it was. If it was Barbie Heimer or. Yeah, yeah. Bob. yeah. 
that this mashup between Barbie and Oppenheimer, which people are still thinking would make a good double feature. Yeah, yeah. So get you down, then get you up. So mm-hmm. um, I'm 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 looking forward to Oppenheimer, and I am intrigued by the Barbie movie. I didn't. Yeah, think I, I know would. both of them. Yeah. Very different reasons, but yeah. I, I think both of them would be good. Yeah. And also the, I think what's going to be probably the movie of the of the summer in terms of box offices has released uh, this week as we record yesterday or Wednesday, I think is mission impossible to I've given up. I think it's number seven. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's already doing big box office, which has not been happening for a lot of movies uh, so well, far. You know, I saw something speculation about that. Of course, overseas box office is huge for modern movies and mm-hmm. uh, China is a big part of that. And um, in Asia and the, one of the reasons that that Indiana Jones didn't do as well is there's just not familiarity in Asian markets with Indiana Jones. It's very much a, a Western Hemisphere uh, movie franchise. Everybody's seen Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's that that's absolutely the case. Of course, you know you'll find people that make edits or actually make a movie. Sometimes you make a specific edit for uh, the Chinese market. Sometimes you make you know the, the whole movie and make sure that it, it 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 will play well there because that has become where you've got to do well to succeed. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you're right um, that uh, Indiana Jones, you know, as, as huge a hit and as as uh, you know, big a franchise as you know you would think it would be, doesn't really have the recognition worldwide that uh, even you know Star Wars or the Marvel movies do. Yeah, uh, but Mission Impossible, like I said, is this this franchise that's you know even though it's based on a '60s TV show, is still relatively new, and they're just pumping out you know pure action movies, and I think those things also translate well uh, to different audiences. A lot of the stuff that's going on in Indiana Jones isn't going to play as well. I thought I was going to cough again. Sorry. I find it fascinating how different markets react. For instance, did you see how the Barbie movie has been banned in Vietnam because of a glancing um, shot on a make-believe map that has the infamous nine-dash line in it? Have you followed any of that? Uh, I hadn't seen that. So the nine-dash line is this uh geographical marker that is in the what is it the south china sea and basically people's republic of china mainland china claims drilling and mineral rights for a good chunk of the china of the south china sea well Mm -hmm. surrounding um surrounding countries do not recognize that right that that geographical area is usually represented represented by a nine dash line on maps and so in the barbie movie there's a hand-drawn map of how barbie gets to the real world and there's nine dashes uh Uh kind of where china is and the south china sea is and so vietnam does not recognize the nine dash line and so they have banned the barbie movie in vietnam because of a kid's hand-drawn map that they interpreted (laughs) To have the nine dash line. Who knew it was a political movie? Exactly, but those are political some, thriller. Those yeah. are those are some of the things that uh, those censors look at to make sure. And uh, so, anyway, that's fascinating. That's that a something. well. That's a lot of geekage for me. What have you got? You've got cool stuff too. Well, but 
Mine is more of the casting news from uh, Superman and Lois, uh, the Superman Legacy movie that uh, James Gunn is making. He's already cast his uh, Superman and Lois. We've talked about that already. But uh, he's starting to cast other other folks as well. And one of the ones that he cast is Anthony Kerrigan. Did you watch Barry at all? No, but I watched Fringe, and he was um, October, I believe, on Fringe. Yeah, he was. He was. He's played. He's been in the DC universe already. Played uh, Zaz, the villain Zaz in uh, uh, Gotham. Um, but uh, Anthony Kerrigan, who was uh, is is cast as Metamorpho. And yeah. uh, are you familiar with that character at all? Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, he was one. I mean, he's, he's from the '60s. He was created uh, uh, by Bob Haney, who also did all the Brave and the Bold stuff and uh, Metal Men and Doom Patrol. So he kind of, you know, had a, I think, a, a real flair for the, some of those kind of out there characters. And you know, around the time I was discovering Metal Men and, and Doom Patrol and the creeper and some of these other kind of bizarre characters metamorpho uh came along and he's uh, Rex Mason he was worked for uh the stag companies and uh was in love with uh, the millionaire stag evil millionaire stag and uh his daughter but he gets exposed to this chemical in an egyptian pyramid up i think an egyptian tomb and becomes this uh character that can uh chemically change his body just real wild looking character design and uh, but he can become all these different things, uh, so uh, it's pretty interesting. I, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a challenge to make the uh, CG probably believable, and hopefully they can do that. But uh, I'm really I'm really interested to see what they do. I thought that was a strange choice uh, of, uh, of of heroes to include, but it fits very much in with what Gunn has always kind of done, especially if you look at Suicide Squad. He kind of he kind of likes these, uh, and even Guardians of the Galaxy. He likes these. Uh, kind of different types of uh, heroes, it seems. So that's that's going to be a good thing to see. Almost anti-heroes is, is very much. Yes, very much so, yeah, yeah. And uh, Anthony Kerrigan was not in Fringe. I stand corrected. I'm looking for the actual character name. It's another guy who, uh, Michael Cerveris, Cer- Cer- yeah, Michael Cerveris okay. was in Fringe. They look a lot alike. And, okay. uh, well, one thing one thing uh, I saw that Anthony Kerrigan said was uh, he's a, he's a, he's bald, and he said once he started losing his hair, he he was, said I was never really a big super uh, you know comic book fan or whatever. But once his hair started falling out, he started looking through all the you know bald superheroes <laughs> and super villains villains and made a note of them. And he remembered seeing Metamorpho and thought this would be a cool guy to play. Uh, you know, so, so it's kind of like he kind of had that in mind. Hey, what, what would my, you know, what would my particular look go well with? And so I, I think that's going to be fun. Self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's right. That, uh, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be a lot. And of there fun. was another announcement made too, that you have, I think. Oh, well. Want. And so they announced additional casting, uh, and they, James Gunn has cast his green lantern, but it's not how Jordan it's uh, Guy Gardner, and Nathan Fillion is going to play Guy Gardner, Green Lantern, in the Superman Legacy movie. Which that is that that's interesting to me because he's to me he's always seemed like the perfect Hal Jordan. He's voiced him a couple of times. Yeah, but I know that Gunn likes to play him as a smart Alec. I'll say, <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and Guy yep. Gardner certainly fits that role. Yeah, yeah. It, it should be it should be a lot of fun. I love Nathan Fillion. And, um, you know, with 
love to see a Firefly reunion, Josh Whedon, if you're listening. And if you can pull yeah. it off, of course, nobody can pull anything off because everybody's striking. But uh, I think Nathan Fillion is a perfect um, – to, to me, he's the uh, – oh, he's the Bruce – is it Bruce Campbell? Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's the Bruce – he should be the Bruce Campbell of the DC universe. Yeah, he's certainly the Bruce Campbell of the gun films, it seems yeah. like, because yeah. he, he always makes some kind of little – appearance sometimes it's you know more substantial than others but a lot of times it's just even sometimes even a voice of a character that you don't realize is, yeah. is him until afterwards but uh yeah i think that's uh that's a good that's a good comparison you know uh, and so so okay we know there are going to be existing heroes we, we've heard about a, a guy gardner green lantern do we know if they're going to be other green lanterns as well i have not seen anything to that effect so uh, mm-hmm. who is it Pollywog? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. That's not. I don't think that's it, but that's close. I, Poly, is it Pollywog? It's Polly something. There was a bar here in town called Pollywogs for okay, you know, years. And but so. I, I know people still want to see a John Stewart Green Lantern somehow, and uh, you know, but that may be that may be something that they'll put in a maybe his own feature movie or uh, you know um, something more serious. Now people have also said they'd love to see a cameo by. Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern again, but I don't know. If, I don't know if he'll ever go back to that. Speaking of which, speaking of which, what did you think about Hugh Jackman in the uh, in the comic accurate Wolverine costume? I thought it looked awesome. I mean, that was funny because it, it hit us the same time that we hadn't talked about that yet. Either. I thought it looked great. I mean, I think it really to me it's like why haven't they done this all along? But it, it, it pulled off. It looked. It was. It was the perfect combination of comic book accuracy. And still uh, realistic functionality. So, you know? those of you playing along at home, uh, this was a steal that was released from Deadpool three, which is in production or was before the strike happened. And mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Reynolds had uh, been able to convince his best bud Hugh Jackman, who he's in love with, to come back mm-hmm. and play Wolverine one last time. And if you recall, Wolverine in the X Men movies, there was all there was never any comic accurate costumes. It was all kind of black leather and whatnot. Well, right. this this behind the scenes snapshot has got uh, uh, Hugh Jackman in the uh, yeah the maze in blue, but primarily a yellowish maze um, Wolverine costume. So, and it looks good. It doesn't look it doesn't look hokey at all. What what I really have enjoyed seeing is the uh, folks who will take Hugh Jackman and shrink him down and say, "Okay, now it's comic." Oh, oh no, that's funny. I haven't seen that. Yeah. I've seen one with the cowl and looked almost like a helmet kind of thing. It was supposed to be kind of taken. I, I thought it was a real picture. I mean, it looked real. Whoever did it looked real, real. But I have not seen it anywhere else. I think they would be showing this all over the place if it were real. I think it was a, an artist interpretation of trying to to put something that would fit in with it, but it looked absolutely perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, but um, I don't know that he'll have that or not, but uh, maybe they'll, I don't know if he'll wear it or not. Maybe they'll show it, but I don't know how, you know. Um, Apparently there is in some behind the scenes photo of a 20th century Fox logo kind of destroyed in the background of a shot. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So how, how meta are we going to get? So the, yeah. mer- with the Merc with the mouth. So, all right. Well, that's going to do us for this, Geeks. Hold on, hold on tight after the break. We're going to revisit uh, our great interview with Roland Mann, who is the ultimate Geek of the Week, Geek of the Month, Geek of the Year. He's, uh, what is he, CEO of Silverline Comics? But he, he's got a phenomenal history with uh, Marvel and Malibu that goes back a long, long time. 
he's actually met Stanley, which is something that we have not. So, up next. And we're back on the podcast. I'm flying solo because I kicked the other two guys out. I am uh, sitting here talking to my old friend, Roland Mann. Roland, how are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you. And, and, and you? Uh, I'm hot. It's, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we had a taste of fall for about uh, 72 hours. It, you, know, you got up, it was like 62 degrees in the morning. Now it's back to surface of the sun hot. So, uh, oh, and, you know, you know, Robbie, I, I'm in Florida now, right? I, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and when when I first came down here, everyone told me oh you're gonna hate it's the humidity you're gonna hate it i'm like i'm from mississippi you don't know the kind of humidity we have there and uh-huh. i kid you not the humidity is far worse in mississippi than it is here in florida because you but got, but, but floridians think it's bad. yeah that's exactly that is exactly it there is 99 percent of the time we've got a, a a breeze at least a little gentle breeze you know um, yeah, the humidity is not not anything like what it is there in Mississippi. I, I, I can I can attest to that. All right, you you and I have talked for forty five minutes before I rolled here. We could go for a couple <laughs> hours. So uh, for uh, for you guys playing along at home, Roland and I have known each other for oh twenty five years at this point, and mm-hmm. you've heard us talk about Roland a few times. He is our uh, he is our our into the comic book industry. So uh, <laughs> Roland, let's get back to the beginning. Talk to me about how you got into comic books and your first job in the industry. Okay. Well, I, I think I, I kind of have to start before. It's like how, before I got into oh, working yeah. in comics. Yeah. That's what got me into them. So, so I will tell you this. I was not a reader as a, as a kid. Okay. I, I, I was, I was an outdoors kid. I wanted to be outside. I would go to school. I would come home and I would, you know, I would play in the dirt with my, with my, you know, my Star Trek figures and my army men and my BB gun. You know, I did not want to read. I did not want to study. As a result of that, I began to fall behind in school, mm. uh, particularly in reading. And uh, my mom being the, being the, the, my mom is an avid reader. She can read. So I, I, even as much as I have done to the, I still cannot read as fast as my mom. My mom is just a super fast reader. She just gobbles stuff up. Right. Um, But she was, you know, she, she, she was seeking ways to get me, you know, as a good parent should get me, Hey, how can I get this, you know, ragheaded kid to, to, to study. And uh, one day in the grocery store, you know, the comics used to be on spinner racks and, 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 you know, grocery stores and things like that. One day in the grocery store, I'm standing there with her. I used to go shopping with her all the time. And I'm like, oh, look, it's a comic book, right? I'm like, mom, can I have it? Can I have it? And I, you know, I'm seven, eight, nine, something like that. And in her brilliance on the spot, she says, I'll buy this for you on one condition. And, and you're a parent, you know how kids are. They're always, it doesn't matter if they really want it. They're like, Ooh, can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Right. Yeah. So in, in her brilliance, she said, I'll buy it for you on one condition that you read it. And then you tell me about what you read. Oh. And I'm like, okay, absolutely. My mom will, I will absolutely do this. And uh, so she bought it for me and I took it home and I devoured it. And it had all these, uh, all these characters in these colorful costumes, this dude called Captain America, who the heck is he? He's so cool. Look at the way he throws that shield, you know? And, and, um, and of course it ended on a cliffhanger. And um, I told my mom, I said, I, I don't know what happens. I want the next one. 
And lo and behold, we were at the grocery store not long uh, after that. And, uh, you know, I find it and she says, I'll, you know, I'll get this for you on the same condition. And I'm like, of course, mom, of course. Right. And so uh, thus began my mom's uh, habit of feeding me comic books. <laughs> wow. Not broccoli, so, not green beans, comic books. Comic books. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so I, I did, and she she would buy them for me very regular. Uh, we would go, listen, God love my mom, man. There, there came a point in time I'd been reading for a, a year, and I couldn't find the next issue of Spider-Man. She got in her car and drove me to different convenience stores oh, wow. so I could look through the, so I could flip through the racks and find that issue of Spider-Man. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And so, so that, that, um, of course, turned me around in my reading, uh, in school, uh, reading comic books led to reading science fiction. I, you know, I fell in love with people like Ray Bradbury and, and, uh, you know, some of the, some of the classic science fiction, Jules Verne, um, led me to, you know, Isaac Asimov and things like that. And so I became, I became a reader. All right. So we've got you to reading science fiction, yep. you know, your mom has, has put the medicine down with a little bit of sugar and yep, yep, you, yep. you're reading, you're reading. So go from so, there. Yeah. So, so you've met me, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a small guy, right. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a quarter inch of a six, four, um, probably not that now that I've aged a little bit, <laughs> but you know, You've as shrunk. a kid, yeah. I've shrunk a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I was, as a kid, I was always pushing six, four. Uh, so, you know, I was always, um, you know, into athletics. I was a, you know, ball player, played football and, and, and baseball. And, uh, I played bad. I was on the basketball team, but I was terrible. I, I was the guy that the coach said, uh, man, come here. See that guy. Yeah. Coach fouling. Okay. Coach, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't jump, couldn't shoot, couldn't dribble, but I could foul. Um, but you know, so I, th that, that was me. So I was never the stereotypical, uh, uh, comic reading geek in school, mostly because of my size. Sure. I would, I would take comics to school absolutely and sit in the back of the classroom and I would read them. And some of the guys would poke fun at me, but it was never quite the Peter Parker kind of, you, what, yeah, what you're saying is you never got bullied like the rest of us geeks is what you're saying. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. I got picked on, but I didn't get bullied. Yeah, there you, you know, go. And, and I think there's a difference. I, I absolutely think there's a difference. Uh, you know, the guys made fun of me. Oh, look, Roland's reading Spider-Man again, you know. And, but uh, didn't, you play, uh, didn't you play defensive end? What, what was your position in football? A, a tackle. I tackle. was a, a defensive tackle and an offensive tackle. Yeah, folks are going to make fun <laughs> of a tackle like that. No, not in high school. <laughs> no, you, you got... Uh, you got a pass there. So, yeah. 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 So, and, and I fully realize that. And, 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 you know, I know I didn't realize that at the time. I just thought, you know, these guys are just picking on me. And, but, and that was, that's, you know, that was part of what I was, what drew me to, to Spider Man and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I was so, I, 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 I maintained my interest in comics, even though, you know, Stanley used to say that his, his audience was, uh, young young boys up until 16 mm -hmm. and they would always say well stan why do you lose your audience at 16 he would say well because at 16 boys discover girls in cars yep. yep you know and so they stopped buying comics well i discovered girls in cars but i didn't give up my comics i'm like no no no, i i, I still like this stuff you know uh -huh. <laughs> um and so you know a, a, as many creative people are want to do 
I would, you know, I would spend my, I would go home and I'd spend my time and, and I would draw on a notebook paper, make it up my, they were stupid, of course, but making up my own stories with my own characters and some of my characters fighting against the Avengers, you know, and, uh, you know, I would create a Flash type of character and, you know, they would race against the, my character and the Flash and Quicksilver. They would all race, you know, Marvel, DC and me, and they would all race. Mine would always win, of course. So, so um, this was the Roland extended universe is what you're saying yes yeah <laughs> yeah um and so i did that uh throughout high school and then as a senior i took a creative writing class and realized that i was probably better suited to write than to draw because my art was terrible uh, i just you know I'm, part of my problem with art is that I didn't have the patience. Mm. Um, you, you know, if you're going to draw a page, a comic book page, it's going to take you hours to do. And, and we're talking, you know, a, 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 an average comic time. But today it's a little bit longer. But when I was an editor, an average comic time, you would expect a guy to do a page in six to eight hours. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have that kind of patience. I'm like, if I can't finish this page in 30 minutes, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know so um so that's kind of what what drew me into the writing and then i started noticing the comic book writers at the time i started you know oh look who's this this steve engelhardt guy he's a guy who writes a lot of these comics that i actually like you know um and so i pay started paying attention to that and i knew i wanted to be a a, a writer specifically a comic book writer but i'm a first generation college student and no one in my family, you know, was like, how do I go be a writer? We don't know. Go do something else. Right. You know, and my dad actually said when I told him, I said, I want to be a writer. He said, how are you going to you know, how are you going to support your family? And I said, Dad, I have no idea. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping you will tell me. And he's like, get a real job, you know. <laughs> and yeah. and it, now my, my dad wasn't doing it because he, you know, he didn't love me. He didn't support me or anything like that. He just said he didn't, you know. He, I come from a family of farmers and well, I say, I want to write. It's like, well, that's not a real job. How are you, how are you going to make money doing that? You know? Mm -hmm. So, so his response was, for, was from a place of love and say, you know, you got to take care of your family. <laughs> what, what's this writing stuff, you know? Sure. Uh, and so I entered college as a computer science major. I, I, I took uh, two and a half years of computer science because I thought I was going to go and be a programmer, something like that. But I learned, man, I hate math. Mm. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and apparently math just does not like me either. And so um, kind of, kind of uh, behind the scenes, uh, BJ was, uh, she was my, my girlfriend at the time, kind of behind the scenes, she said, you should change your, your degree to creative writing because you know, that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, but what's my dad going to say, you know, cause you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate when dad paid my tuition I, and you know, I didn't have any extra money, but he covered my, my cost. I, I worked, I worked in college. And so I, you know, the whole time I was there, I had a job so that I could afford, you know, my car and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I still didn't know what I was going to do, dude. I still didn't know. I mean, I didn't know anybody who could, you know, I, I mean, in, even in the creative writing classes, all they taught me really was how to write literature stuff. And that's not what interested me at all. I had some terrible experiences, you know, even trying to write science fiction. Um, but, uh, you know, so, 
so I started submitting stuff when I was in college to Marvel in DC and uh, you know, just rejection, 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 probably most of it unread. But um, when I was a junior down at Southern Miss, I met uh, Stephen Butler, who is a, a longtime friend of mine. I, I saw a piece of his art and I'm just sat there and stared at it. I'm like, I don't recognize this character. And, and I, you know, I know a lot of characters because I read a lot of comic books. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, I designed that character. That's mine. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, he goes, I want to draw comics for a living. I'm like, I want to write comics for a living. And so the two of us uh, got together a couple of times. Now, I, I should also add a little asterisk. This was right after the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were published. Sure. And 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 so this, you know, this would have been 1986. And so there was a bit of a, an independent comic revolution going on. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the initial Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but by uh, Eastman and Laird, I absolutely yes. do. I yeah. own I own the uh, trade paperback. Very cool. Yeah. So you know that those first issues are not real. They're not kid friendly at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're absolutely not kid friendly. Yeah. Uh, they're not kid friendly, and and they're really not that good. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't bust my childhood a little bit. Don't well no. with my childhood. They they Listen. were an early independent comic book. Absolutely. And, and they showed that they were. They were an early independent comic book. Oh, listen, don't don't mishear me. I I attribute my entry into the comic book industry to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They paved the way, okay? Um, because they led, they they were at the forefront of this independent comic revolution. Um, that's what kind of made me and Stephen, and he had a sweet mate, uh, Mitch Bird. Um, that's what we just decided. Hey, we can't get anyone to, to pay attention to our comics. Let's just do it ourselves. Right. Look, the, the turtles did it. We, we can do it, you know? Absolutely. And, and of course there was the, you know, that prevailing attitude for a lot of independence. Cause like I said, it was a, it was a black and white boom in the, in the late eighties. And so that's exactly what we did. We put together our comics and here's the deal. So we put together our comics, we solicited it throughout you know that back at the time there was more than diamond there was about uh you know 12 or 13 distributors mm -hmm. we got orders for for 4,400 copies of the book wow now what was the book cat and mouse cat and mouse the original mm -hmm. cat and mouse the original cat and mouse we talked to a printer and we're like "Ooh, that's a lot of money we don't have that kind of money <laughs> because we had to print them and ship them right so this is in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So Stephen and I, we put on ties and we go around to the banks in, in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi with our purchase orders, right? <laughs> yeah. From, from these distributors. And then we said, we need a loan. And we, we was like, we made a comic book and here are our purchase orders. And we don't have the money to pay to get it printed. But if we can pay to get it printed, this is the money that we're going to get paid. So they could easily see we were going to make money. And, and Robbie, as much as I, I like Hattiesburg and it, I tell you, this is the response. I'm, 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 I'm kind of paraphrasing all of them, right? Hmm. Comic books. <laughs> I ain't never given no loan for no comic uh, book before. Yep. Yep. Um, how about a tractor? You want a, you want, you want a tractor? Uh, no, sir. We need to print this comic book. We've got 4,000 <laughs> ready to be sold money right money yeah <laughs> and, <sighs> I, and 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 dude we could not get a loan 
uh, we we hit every every bank in town, and 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 we could not get a loan because they looked at us like they had no idea what we were talking about. Yeah, and so uh, unfortunately, we had this you know kind of this is in the days before Kickstarter and all that kind of stuff. So um, so uh, sadly, we had to cancel the orders. But what we did then oh. is we we photocopied all those order sheets, we photocopied our comics. And we sent them out to independent publishers again. And we said, look, we got orders for these books. We don't have the money to print it. We need a publisher. Yeah. And um, so we hooked up with a guy out of, uh, out of New York called uh, EF Graphics. Uh, EF Graphics published one book in color and then went out of business. They were printing some other books as well. And so we took that. We took the purchase orders. We took, <laughs> we took all our copies and we sent it out again. This time we actually had some interest in in some of the uh, some of the more prominent independent publishers at the time. You know, a little bit of time had gone had gone along, and ultimately we we were picked up by Aircell that was owned by Malibu Comics, uh, and of course Malibu Comics is the company that printed uh, published uh, Men in Black, mm-hmm. and they picked up uh, they picked up Cat and Mouse and. The rest, as they say, kind of is history for that. <laughs> wow. So you've got, I'm looking here, you've got Cat and Mouse number one, 1990 air cell, and mm-hmm. then you've got the EF graphics. You've got, uh, you've got number one A and number one B. Those mm-hmm. were 89. So those predate the air cell number one. Is that correct? Correct. That gotcha. is correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, um, there's a color. So there's a color version um, that is, is uh, printed on newsprint. Um, and then there is a black and white version that's printed on a better quality paper. Um, now, now we never printed anything ourselves. Uh, and, and I know one of the things you asked me a little bit about Silverline is that we never printed anything ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were actually called, if you, if you go back and look at the, the catalogs, we were actually called, we called ourselves top comics. Um, when that failed, uh, and we, when we reached out to EF graphics, we wanted to, we, we still kind of wanted to have some kind of, um, you know, personality. We, we were a studio without realizing kind of what we were. Um, and so EF Graphics said, okay, well, why don't you guys be Silverline Studios and and EF Graphics will be the publisher. Well, we didn't like the studios part. So we just said, we'll just call us Silverline. Mm-hmm. We're Silverline and we'll package the books and you can publish them. Um, and then that, of course, that that same relationship then transferred into Malibu and Silverline packaged several different comics for, uh, for Malibu in the early nineties before I was, uh, before I was hired as an editor. So, so cat mouse got you to Malibu. That, yes. that was your, that was your entry to employment, right? Right. Yep. Absolutely. So you, when did you start working for, for Malibu and were you able to keep cat and mouse separately as a creator? Um, yeah, Cat and Mouse. Had, um, so I started working for Malibu in '92, um, and this was shortly after the first run of, of Cat and Mouse ended. Now we had planned to do a second run of uh, Cat and Mouse. The, the The plan was to come back with a series of miniseries, mm-hmm. um, partly because it was it it, well, it still is right, it, it, but it was hard to keep an ongoing series going. And, and the idea was that, you know, for every fifth issue, we're going to get a new number one. So we'll do, you know, one through four is a story arc. Another one through four is a story arc, that kind of thing. So it was just going to be a series of mini series. Sure. Um, 
so when I got out there to California, though, um, unfortunately, they kept me so busy as an editor. I didn't write very many comics when I was there, when I was an editor. I wrote some and, and some fun ones, but um, my, my output in the years that, that uh, I was at Malibu uh, was considerably less than my output in the couple of years leading up to that. Um, so that was one of the things that I was, uh, you know, that I was, that is probably one of my, o- my only unhappy points about being at Malibu. Otherwise, I absolutely love Malibu. Um, but, but the silver, so, so what happened is, is because I'm packaging these books for Malibu, I didn't realize it, but I'm really a, a freelance editor, right? Sure. I, I'm, I'm finding the writer, I'm finding the artist, I'm putting the package together and sending it to Malibu with in, in complete, it's ready to go, right? Um, and so I, that's really when they got ready to expand, that's really what they, you know, hey, you've kind of been doing this for us already, why don't you just come on staff and be one of our editors? Um, and, then you, and, and Malibu was based in LA, was that correct? Yeah, just outside of LA. They were actually based in uh, Westlake Village, uh, which is which is north uh, of LA, which is LA for all of us here in Mississippi for right. all intents <laughs> yeah, exactly. and purposes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's LA. Yeah. <laughs> so so you guys moved to California, right? We did. Yeah, we moved from uh, uh, BJ was in um, in graduate school there in Starkville. She was um, um, uh, getting her master's degree. Um, we moved to Starkville and uh, we got married in ninety. We moved to Starkville in ninety one. Uh, and that's, you know, when I met some of the local comic, uh, folks there in, in, in Starkville, I uh, used to go down to the, the copy cow all the time to make my, uh, my copies. That's when I met Dean Zachary, who, uh, I ended up hiring Dean Zachary when I got hired as an editor in California. He was one of my first hires. Um, but I met him because he was making photocopies and I, I, I saw his art and I'm, I'm, you know, peeking at it and I'm like, you know, hey, it looks like you're, you know, it looks like you're photocopying some artwork. He was, yeah, you know, I want to be a comic book artist. I said, well, I'm about to move to California to be an editor. You mind if I take a look? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, of course, Dean, um, Dean is still, he is, he is still involved in Silverline today. So um, started, started a long, a long relationship. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so Malibu was purchased by Marvel because you yep. guys were doing some pretty cool things. So talk a little bit about that transition. You go from, you know, the independent vibe to a little corporate here in the in the yeah. early 90s. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So so I don't know how uh, how how comic savvy a lot of uh, your your folks are, but like the first thing I want to do is um, is clear up a a common misconception that you can find all over the internet even 25 years later um the common rumor uh which is incorrect is that malibu i'm sorry that marvel bought malibu for its coloring department um now it is true that malibu was was on the forefront of the the uh, coloring technology um we weren't the very first to do it i think that goes to to ollie optics um, but we were you know, in the uh, in the front. We were in the forefront. Certainly, we probably had uh, by the time Marvel bought us, we probably had the biggest coloring staff. We had 120 colorists at wow. one point in time. Yeah, I mean wow. it was, a, and, and we had the computers uh, that would run 24 hours a day. You know, I don't remember how many computers. I guess if you 120 divided by three, you know, we we literally we had three shifts. They would come in 
eight hour shift color comics next group come in eight hours color we kept those computers uh, uh running all day long um but that's not the reason they they bought us the 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 short version is this um dc had been uh, malibu was the number three or four publisher in market share um, depending on what, and I say three or four, because that depends on what uh, Dark Horse published. If they published a Predator or an Aliens book, we were number four. If they did not publish a Predator or an Aliens book, we were number three. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's so, funny. Um, yeah, so, so you know, we were, we were pretty uh, prominent in market, sh- market share behind uh, Marvel and DC. And DC had been flirting with, uh, with Malibu for about six months, okay? They had, um, they had been in the office uh, numerous times. We were actually going through a process, and not very many people knew this, but we were actually going through a process. Uh, DC was doing the due diligence before they purchased us, right? Well, Marvel catches wind of this, and this is in the Ron Perlman days. Marvel catches wind of this, and, and, and Ron Perlman literally, they tell me, it, it happened this quickly, but they tell me he heard about it, jumped on a plane, flew to Malibu, talked to our president, Scott Rosenberg, and said, what's DC offering you? I will double it. <laughs> and, and within two weeks, I was a Marvel employee. <laughs> so, it, you know, it had nothing to do with the coloring department. It, it had everything to do with, with business. Um, it, was all, it was all about, we got to keep your market share out of the hands of DC, because if you had added our our 10, 11, 12, 13% to DC's market share at the time, we would have, DC collectively would have surpassed Marvel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's a business decision. So it was just like, nope, we got to buy you up and keep you out of the hands of DC. Wow. Yeah. So, so I tell people, here's the big difference. Okay. So, so Robbie, if you came to me, when I was a Malibu editor, if you came to me and said, hey, Roland, I got this idea for this comic book, here it is, right? I would say, you, know, you get me on board right now. So, oh, cool, Robbie. I like that, man. Let, let, let me take it to my, let me take it to the, 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 the money people, right? Mm-hmm. So I would, I would take the pitch and they would, uh, they, they would ask me, here's a question that would be asked, right? And you got to listen carefully, right? The question is, can we make money on this comic? If the answer was yes, Malibu was inclined to publish the comic. Okay. Sure. Now, exact same scenario but marvel is now the owner you come to me i got a comic blah 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 i go the question becomes how much money can we make gotcha gotcha it's right not, it's not a matter of showing somewhat of a profit it's a matter of economies of scale how profitable can we be with this particular title that's exactly it yeah and and, and that is really where i saw the change Gotcha. Gotcha. So do you think that stifled you a little bit creatively? Do you think it kind of, I mean, obviously it changed the culture of Malibu. It did. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it, it, that, you know, create, I'm a believer that creativity flourishes, uh, in, in, in all kinds of, uh, situations. Um, you know, I think there are things that we could, yeah, we had kind of, you know, we had these corporate overlords that we kind of had to, to, but we, we were still making comics, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, yeah, we kind of had to to try to ensure that we met certain um, sales targets uh, or, or be canceled. But, you know, we're still trying to make the best comics that we possibly can. So, um, 
you know, I, I don't, I don't recall feeling um, stifled like that at all. I, I, sure. I recall being frustrated at the, the hoops that we had to jump through now with with marvel that weren't there when when malibu existed i I remember being very frustrated at that um you know i'm I'm looking here over the list of comics that malibu had in its stable and you know i did not realize that eternity comics was an imprint of malibu Mm -hmm. Uh, i was a big robotech fan oh yeah (laughs) and so i would go to uh I would go to my drugstore or convenience store looking for the latest Robotech uh, comic book. I had fallen in love with the uh, with the Carl Masick version of uh, that that ended up in syndication, but I didn't realize that uh, Eternity Comics, which had Robotech and Captain Harlock, um, mm-hmm. also Star Blazers, uh, was was a Malibu title, and yep. uh, love Star Blazers. In fact, I. Last week, I actually looked up the original opening sequence to Star Blazers, and I was impressed that I could sing along at full volume and knew every word. <laughs> We're off to outer space. Yeah. Anyway, so. But did, yeah. did, did you ever work on the Lita Ford Rocket comic? <laughs> now, that you, you, you're lobbing me a softball there, dude. <laughs> did you? So, I did. I did. I wrote that. <laughs> Did you? I, I wrote just that. you wrote the Lita Ford Rocket comics. I did. I had. I, I had. I had no idea. I'm just no looking way. Over. Really? No, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there is a picture of uh, uh, if you if you search uh, probably get on the Google and search Roland Man Lita Ford. Um, there is a single picture from San Diego Comic Con that has me Lita Ford and Jim Ballant signing autographs. Uh, that that is it. It is. It, I'm almost unrecognizable because that's in my very long mullet days. I found it. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, did you really? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's so, awesome. That's yep. awesome. Dude. Yeah, that's me and Lita Ford's in the middle. And then Jim Ballant is the artist uh-huh. the, of the comic. Um, we were we were at San Diego uh, signing uh, signing autographs for the book. That's hilarious. <laughs> did she say? Did she say? Draw me once. Draw me twice. Come on, pretty baby. Draw me deadly. No. <laughs> no. You know, it was it was an interesting process because um, obviously, you know, it's her book. She was in charge. And when when Malibu approached me, they said, "Now here's the deal. Lita's got ideas, so we want to run with her ideas. We just kind of want you to write sort of what she wants to do." And I'm like, "Well, you know, I can do with that." So I had phone conversations with Lita, and she's like, "You know, here's the story I want to tell." And she absolutely her dog, Chili Dog, that little the, that stupid little weenie dog, right? Yeah. She wanted that dog to be in the comic, right? And I'm like. <laughs> Okay, it's your comic if that's what you want. Um, so that's why I've had people ask me before, why did you put the dog in there? I'm like, well, because Lita Ford said she wanted the dog in there. Because Lita <laughs> wanted the dog. Oh, man, yep. that's great. That's great. So so did you work on the Ozzy Osbourne book? I mean, what else? I, I did not. I did not. But I did not work on Ozzy. Um, I did not work on any of the other uh, rock and roll comics. But I did get to meet uh, Geezer Butler. Uh, who is the uh, bass player for Black Sabbath. I have my picture uh, with him. Um, I don't think it's on the internet anywhere, but uh, I do have a picture 
uh, it was one of these things. I'm in the office. I've got this, uh, you know, I work here's, I got to go to work in California as an editor in short pants and a t-shirt, right? That's the way I went to, sh- to work every day. And, and you all saw my hair from the Lita Ford picture. I had my hair pulled back in a ponytail. I'm working. Someone says, geezer butlers in the office. And I'm like, no way. They're like, yeah, I'm like, I got to get my picture taken. <laughs> I've got on this t-shirt that has this, this big fat butt on it that has <laughs> pants kind of pulled down. Uh-huh. And so you see this big butt crack and, and the, the words on the t-shirt says crack kills. <laughs> I'm, I'm oh. taking my picture in hold this on, and short on. pants. Sorry, Mrs. Reed. I'm just going to say that right now. And roll on. I'll explain to you that off, off microphone. Sorry, Mrs. Reed. All right, go ahead. Let me, let me hear, let me hear the rest of the t-shirt story. You know, so, I mean, that's just, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm standing there with geezer butler and this is my picture of him as i've got this i've got this t-shirt that you know it's not really a t-shirt i wear in public you know <laughs> and so i've got this picture of me and geezer butler oh um, man yeah i went to a kiss party Ooh, okay uh, i i did uh i got to uh and this was after marvel purchases uh purchases uh we uh, the the editors would go to new york every now and then to have editorial meetings there because you know the main offices of marvel were were in New York City at the time, and uh, one of the times we went up there, they had a, a kiss party for some comic that they they, they uh, we didn't do it. That, that was the, the the New York offices were doing, and um, I got to stand and talk to Gene Simmons for about five minutes. Nice. Um, I, I got to sh- uh, shake Paul Stanley's hands, and he had like two eighteen year olds on on his, his either elbow. Of course. Um, so I met him. Um, I did not, but those were the only two I met. Uh, I I don't recall whether any of the other band members were there or not i i I, i'm inclined to say i don't think so but um uh but yeah it was uh, it was a lot of fun getting to uh get to meet um those guys um so so working for marvel did you get to meet stan the man i absolutely did and stan the the man lee for those of you guys playing along at home who don't know who stan the man was (laughs) Yep. Yep. Now I now so I, I should backtrack a little bit. So I'd actually met Stan briefly before. Okay. okay. Uh, when when I was first getting into comics, I was a rookie and um I was at Dallas. I think I'd been working in comics for probably about a year and a half, maybe two years. So I had some comics under my belt, not many, but some. And I went to a Dallas uh, fantasy festival and Stanley was there. That's when I got him to sign my copy of Avengers number two. <laughs> and I stood, I shook his hand. I didn't have to pay for the photo op. I didn't have to pay for the autograph. I just stood there and talked to him for, you know, about 10 minutes telling him how much, you know, of an influence he was and, and, and that kind of thing. And it was, it was fantastic. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I was able to leave that show going, man, look at this. I got Stanley's autograph and, and, and I was floating, floating high. So, so when Marvel bought us, our editor in chief, um, when, when they bought us, they were like, is there anything that you guys want from us? And our editor in chief said, yes, we want to have lunch with Stan. <laughs> oh, 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 my goodness. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. And now Stan had already, by that point in time, Stan had already moved out of New York and he was in LA and he was more of a figurehead. They had kind of removed him from the day-to-day operations. And, and he literally was just kind of a figurehead and trying to do some of the stuff in, in, in LA, right? But um, but but yes. Because of, I will always be thankful to Chris Ohm, who was my editor-in-chief, I got to sit right beside Stan Lee for oh, about a three-hour-long lunch. You did not. I did. I, I rubbed, I literally rubbed elbows with Stan. Um, I, I, I had one of the choice seats. I don't remember who was on. There was about five of us that went to lunch with him, and uh, I got to sit right beside him. And, and, and you know what? Someone said, well, where'd you go eat? I'm like, you know what? I don't know where we went to eat or what we ate. <laughs> I, I, I really don't remember, but I remember Stan telling stories for three hours. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Very you, much a highlight. And you still have that Avengers number two. I think you told me off mic that it's signed, obviously, from, from Stan and yep. framed in your in your living room. It is. Yep. I, I could, you could come visit me and I can take it off the wall and show you. What's the, what's the quality of, of, of that issue? Not really great. I, I've never had it graded, but it's, you know, I mean, it was my copy. So it's like, you know, I was like, I, I, in, in, I wasn't, this is before slabs and all the grading 9.8s and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was it was kind of the best copy I could afford at the time. And I didn't have number one yet. I do have number one now, but I didn't have number one yet. So that was the oldest Avengers I had that I could get Stan to sign. Oh, man. So, Unbelievable. All right. Yeah. So we're going to pause here. And okay. guys, we're going to come back uh, next week with part two of this interview. Roland, can you hang on for a second so we actually have a part two? Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time around.